Well, good evening. Welcome to our evening service once again here at Long Hill Baptist Church. Uh, we've had a good weekend. We had a productive Friday and Saturday uh, working on our scripture assembly project. We got done about 20% more than we had hoped to. We praise God for that and uh, thank all of our folks again who took part in serving uh, in that ministry this week. We prayed this morning that God would use the scriptures that had been assembled and that God would use us uh, each uh, to be in the business of giving them out. And we'll have more information for you within the next week or so regarding a restart of our outreach ministry. So please be in prayer about that. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, having you involved in that. Pray God just use me any way that you'd like. Uh, I praise God that burdens are lifted at Calvary. I hope you can remember back to the day that you were saved and, and the weight of sin that came off of you that day. Do you remember? Uh, how long has it been? Uh, I certainly remember. I remember the day very plainly that the weight of sin came off of my shoulders. For me, I was 10 years old at a summer camp uh, in Little Valley, New York, and it was, it was a wonderful day. It was a wonderful day. I'll never forget it. Uh, listen, if, if you're listening uh, tonight and you can't remember a time that you repented of sin and placed your faith in Christ, boy, we encourage you uh, to get that right today. The Bible is clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible is clear the wages of sin is death. Uh, without the Lord Jesus Christ, all we have to look forward to is a very real hell and an eternal hell and eternal torment and suffering, really punishment for our sin. That's, that's the biblical idea there. Uh, and yet the Bible is equally clear that anyone who would come to Christ, uh, Christ, uh, God the Son, uh, the one who said he is the way, the truth, and the life, uh, if you would come to Christ repenting of sin and placing your faith in him and the sacrifice, uh, the payment that he made in our place, a sacrificial uh, sacrifice upon the cross for us, boy, you can be forgiven. Your sins will be forgiven in that moment. And you too can know uh, the glory of having the burden of sin lifted uh, and the wonder of eternal uh, hope, uh, a very real hope, a certain hope of eternal life and um, the certainty of not spending uh, even one minute uh, in that very real hell. Lord, thank you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you tonight for the certainty of heaven. Lord, I understand tonight that our salvation is most certainly not only about missing out on hell, uh, it's about entering into a relationship with you and serving you and knowing you and, and Lord, bringing pleasure to you through our, in our relationship, in our service, uh, being recipients of your love and loving you in return. Uh, Lord, we thank you tonight for this uh, wonderful relationship that you have allowed us to enter into with you uh, through faith in Christ. Father, I thank you tonight for sending your only begotten son to die in my place. Lord, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Lord, I pray now that you will work uh, in these next few minutes as we sing. I pray that you place a joy in our hearts, a real joy from you. Uh, Lord, and that that would please you as we sing of you and to you tonight. Father, work in these next few minutes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to our next hymn sheet. There you'll find hymn number 633, Jesus Loves Even Me. 
We'll sing all three verses of 633. Jesus loves even me. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of the love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Though I forget him and wander away, still he doth love me wherever I stray. Back to his dear loving arms I would flee when I remember that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Oh, if there's only one song I can sing, when in his beauty I see the great King, this shall my song in eternity be. Oh, what a wonder that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. All right, let me ask you to take your Bible tonight and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Ask you a question as you're turning there tonight. Uh, are you glad? Are you glad that Jesus loves you? Are you glad? Lord, help us to be glad. Help us to really appreciate what that means. Uh, ask yourself a second question tonight. Uh, Brother Ray, how lovable am I? Are, are we very lovable? Do you suppose it's uh, easy for the Lord to love us? Well, he's the Lord, some might say, and uh, probably easier for him than others. We, I think we recognize tonight that uh, we're sinners and at times not very lovable at all. Uh, don't forget tonight that the Lord uh, God the Father sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us because he loved us. He loved us that much before we were saved, uh, before our sins were covered by the blood of Christ. What, a, what an amazing love. What an amazing love. Lord, thank you for loving me tonight. I don't deserve it, but I am grateful. Uh, teach us to be grateful tonight for your love. Well, we're here in, tonight in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, this will be the third part of uh, a short series in which we are looking at the scriptural qualifications for a man to serve as a pastor. And we'll read the qualifications in a minute, but I want to quickly remind you, it's been a week now, I want to quickly remind you the, the value, the benefit of looking uh, at this passage and spending as much time on it as we are. Now, we understand God has had Paul to write to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is a young pastor serving there at the church at Ephesus, and Paul wanted Timothy to understand how he should comport himself, what things should characterize his life, what should Timothy take care uh, to be sure uh, that his life reflects, what, 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 what traits, what, what characteristics uh, should he be concerned about uh, being in his life? Uh, I don't think I said that very eloquently, but you understand uh, the idea. Now, we've said here that uh, eventually, uh, somewhere down the road, our church 
uh, will need to call a pastor, maybe an assistant pastor, uh, maybe looking for uh, someone who would be willing to go out and pastor a church plant. So uh, we also need to understand what does God say are the qualifications of a man who, who could uh, be chosen of the church uh, to serve as, as the pastor of this church or someone who, who we may send out to pastor a church plant. That's important. Now remember also, uh, and I'll be quick here, uh, the third thing we said, the third reason to spend uh, as much time as we are looking at these biblical qualifications of pastors uh, is really this. We recognize that just as this pastor uh, was called from the membership of the church, uh, any of the men in our church uh, who meet these qualifications could be called by God uh, to serve as a pastor here or somewhere else. And listen, I've said before, and I'll say again tonight, some may say, boy, I hope not. I don't necessarily have a desire uh, to serve God that way. Uh, and I've said this, and I'll say it again quickly, if God calls you, he'll give you a desire. He'll, he'll give you that passionate desire uh, to serve in this place. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to fret about that. Uh, lastly, I, I guess there's, there's four reasons to look at these qualifications. Um, it'd be wonderful uh, for anyone, uh, any man in the church, and of course many of these uh, traits or qualifications apply to ladies as well. It'd be just great to, to know that God values certain things. He values certain attributes, certain characteristics, certain things uh, in the lives of his people. And so whether or not God would ever call you gentlemen to serve as a pastor, uh, these are all things that God values, that God desires to see in our lives. And so uh, boy, there's great value in knowing these things for all of these reasons, for all of these reasons. Uh, permit me uh, to read here. We'll read uh, the first seven verses. These are the biblical qualifications for a pastor uh, and for any man who is willing uh, to submit to the Lord regarding the possibility of being called as a pastor as well. Here we are, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, the Bible says, this is a true saying, God is true and so are his words. If a man desire the office of a bishop, that's a pastor, uh, he desireth a good work. Uh, it's not an easy thing to be a pastor, but it's certainly a good thing in God's eyes. So here's the qualifications. Verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless. Uh, the husband of one wife, we spent quite a bit of time on that phrase last week. Uh, he must be vigilant, uh, watchful, not only watchful of spiritual dangers in his own life, as we saw last Sunday night, I believe, uh, but also able and willing to watch over uh, his flock, his church, uh, so that he can be aware of spiritual dangers and be in the business of warning the flock and doing uh, everything in his power to protect them from uh, spiritually dangerous things. So he's vigilant in that regard. Uh, tonight we'll see that he's sober. We'll talk about that word and how the Bible uses that word. Uh, he must be of good behavior. We'll look at that as well. Uh, he must be given to hospitality and apt to teach, able and willing to teach. Uh, that would be primarily the word of God, of course. We have some other things here and I'll, I'll read uh, down through the, the balance of verse seven now. He's not given to wine. Uh, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, uh, not covetous, 
Verse 4 says he's one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? He's not a novice. Verse 6, uh, he's a spiritually mature individual. The uh, Bible says he's not a novice, left being, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, verse 7, he must have a good report of them which are without, uh, those who are outside the church, not yet saved, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So this is what God says qualifies a man to serve as a pastor, a bishop or elder, different facets of the same office. Um, these are the criteria. There may be other things that, that you look for that you would desire, but these are God's criteria. By the way, they're the only ones. Of course, we have passage in Titus that parallels some of the same things, uh, but these are God's criteria. Uh, a man uh, who can uh, marry up to and, and satisfy these requirements uh, meets God's requirements to serve as a pastor. Let's stop there and pray, and we'll jump in and look at several of these uh, qualifications tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you again tonight for the privilege to look at this passage. Uh, we understand tonight it, it's, a, it's just an incredibly important passage. Uh, Lord, we, we understand, we recognize that uh, in our minds, in, in our hearts, we may dream up all sorts of qualifications for a man who would serve as a pastor. But, but Lord, you've seen fit to tell us exactly what your qualifications are, what you require of a man. And Father, I'm grateful tonight for that. Lord, I pray that we learn these things, that we not forget them. I pray, Father, uh, especially for the men of the church tonight, that they would be yielded, that they would be open to the possibility of God calling them into any area of service. Uh, Lord, I pray that whether or not a man is called to be a pastor, that he would have a heart to live a life that reflects these criteria. Lord, these are good things godly things no matter what. Father, I'm, I'm mindful that the same could be said for our ladies tonight. Uh, so many of these traits, these characteristics, they really are uh, applicable to a godly Christian woman as well. And so I pray that you would help us to bear these things in mind as we study and review and uh, try to understand the, the meaning of these various phrases. Lord, use me tonight. Uh, I need your help. I pray for each one who's listening tonight. Lord, it's, it's the end of the day again. It's been a busy several days, and I understand people may be tired tonight. I pray you, you give them strength now, Lord, and, and help us each to uh, give heed to you and to your words for just these next few minutes. Lord, work now. Help us. Build us up in thy words for your good purposes. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been working through uh, this passage and taking our time. I, I made the point last week, there's, there's great value in taking your time and chewing on the Word of God and, and considering it and uh, taking care to understand the individual words and phrases and 
Boy, sometimes you just have to do that. Uh, we'll try to continue comparing Scripture with Scripture uh, to allow Scripture to inform our understanding of things that might not be perfectly clear without the benefit of other passages. And, of course, we, we have, as an example, husband of one wife. We've brought other Scripture to bear on that phrase uh, we've used other scripture that can illuminate God's desire, that, that does illuminate God's uh, definition of marriage and divorce and so forth, and uh, allowed our understanding of this phrase here to be illuminated by other, other uh, passages that address the same topic. And I just want to remind you and encourage you, that's a good principle to follow. When something is not clear, uh, look for other verses that can uh, help and aid your understanding. And if you're not sure how to do that, uh, come and talk to me. Come and talk to me about that. Uh, I can point you to some tools that will make that relatively easy for you to do that in your own study. So with that said, let's jump in here. Uh, by my numbering, uh, we're at the sixth criteria, uh, the sixth qualification, uh, biblical criteria for a man to serve as the pastor. So number six tonight, the uh, Bible says here a man must be uh, sober. He, he must be sober. Uh, we see here uh, in verse 2, a bishop, that's a pastor again, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, uh, vigilant, watchful, uh, and then sober. And, you know, we just have that single word, Brother Ray. Uh, it's, it, there's no comment on it here. Uh, it's not part of a phrase. It's a single word. Uh, and you may look at that and say, well, uh, I think I know what sober means. Uh, in our modern usage of the word, it means uh, one who doesn't drink or get intoxicated. Uh, and yet later on, we have a, a separate criteria uh, that is uh, specifically mentioning wine. So we have sober here. Uh, later on in verse 3, well, not too far later on in the next verse, uh, the Bible says he's not given to wine. So uh, the fact that we have two different verses here that uh, are not, uh, they're, they're obviously not the same thing because we have sober and then not given to wine. So uh, you can look at, at, a, at a given passage and say, well, uh, I, I see later on it, he, he's not given to wine, so he's not a drinker. Uh, so perhaps this word sober here uh, in verse 2, it, it might mean something other than that. Uh, and it does. Uh, it doesn't literally refer to one who's abstaining from alcohol. Oh, that's a good thing. And, and again, we see that in, in verse 3. Uh, this word has the idea of, of being of a sound mind. Uh, the, uh, the underlying word has the literal idea of actually a saved mind is, is, uh, the, would be a, a literal understanding of, of the underlying and Greek word. Uh, it's, it's been understood that th this word has the idea of self-control. Uh, this, this is a saved person uh, who has a mind that reflects the fact that they've been saved. Uh, their heart, their mind have been changed. Uh, when they came to Christ, uh, and so there is a there is a self-control in this individual's life. In Titus two two, the same word is is translated uh, temperate. Uh, temperate. In Titus two five, the the word is translated discreet. 
Uh, these are all good translations of the same word. Now, discrete, um, if you look in a dictionary, that's a word that has the idea of being discerning, uh, being discerning, uh, being able to uh, intellectually discern what is right and what is wrong, and based on that ability to discern right from wrong, uh, to make decisions that reflect good discernment, uh, temperance, self-control. Uh, it's, it's a man who can look at the word of God as a saved man and, and rightly divide it uh, and, and take the word of God and make decisions in his life, considered decisions uh, based on God's word and the discernment that God gives him through his words. Uh, this is not a man who is led around by his passions, led around by uh, his lusts. Uh, he's, he's a man who is discerning and careful in making decisions and careful in how he uh, invests his time uh, and his resources. There's not a, a chaotic nature uh, to his life. Let me share with you a couple thoughts that uh, I've seen different commentators uh, share regarding uh, this word. Uh, one man says that uh, properly, this, this is a man who is of a sound mind, one who follows sound reason, uh, sound reason. He says the idea is that he should have his desires and passions well regulated. He's not controlled by every lustful thing or, or every natural desire that a man may have. Uh, he's again, he's, he's, he's ordered his mind according to the word of God. Another man says, this is one who is prudent and modest and temperate, one who can uh, govern his affections and his passions. I'll share one more quote that I found. Uh, another man says, he must be sober, temperate, moderate in all his actions and in the use of all creature comforts. He said, sobriety and watchfulness are often in scripture together because they mutually befriend one another. Be sober, be vigilant. Uh, in my notes, I wrote, this is a man who is not controlled by unbridled passions or lusts, but who has proven himself able to exercise self-control. This is a man who has uh, sought God's word and God's help to order his mind, to enable him to be discerning. Uh, this is a man who is yielded to what he has seen in God's word and who has sought, sought God to order his mind um, in a way that is um, godly and separated, biblical, uh, modest, temperate, uh, self-controlled. Now, whenever we, we see this word self-control, this phrase self-control, I always like to remind us, Brother Ray, that to really be self-controlled is to be God-controlled, right? Uh, if I'm struggling with self-control uh, in some part of my life, if, if there's some lustful thing that has become a habit in my life, I may struggle with self-control. That thing, uh, as, as I've given into it and fed it and it's grown and, and gained a degree of control in my life, number one, the devil's thrilled about that, you can be sure. Uh, but that, that's a hard thing to 
break free of, to be liberated from, unless we'll go to the Lord and, and confess that and, and yield to the Lord um, and know a Holy Spirit filling uh, and, and, and a yieldedness to the Spirit of God saying, listen, Lord, I've lost control here, but I understand that, that you're a God of, uh, of, of, you're a sovereign God, you're an omnipotent God. Lord, I understand if I will yield my life to you, uh, you'll take control, you'll take the reins if I will only hand the reins to you. And you know what? As we do, the Lord strengthens us to be able to move away from something that has controlled us and led us around. Uh, now the Lord gives us control. Uh, the Lord gives us the ability to break free uh, from that thing that had led us around. Uh, and now we have what appears to be self-control. But I'll say again, it's really Holy Spirit control. Are you willing to yield control of your life to the Spirit of God? Um, you may say yes, and I would say praise God. Uh, there's no one better to yield control of your life to. Uh, if, you, if you say, maybe you'd say honestly, you know what, I'm not sure. Maybe there's an issue of trust. Maybe you're afraid of where the Spirit of God will, will lead you to. Uh, please try to keep in mind, God, boy, God loves us. We sang about that. Uh, he loves us. He has our best interests in mind. Uh, he desires that we give our lives to him and his service. And boy, he blesses when we do. And, and very often those blessings will be very practical things, a self-control, an ability to break free from things that have owned us, uh, controlled us, uh, and led us to places that were not at all what God desired. Lord, help us to be sober-minded, to know your word, uh, to have minds that are ordered according to your words, uh, to know your words so that we can be discerning about where we should go and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Uh, God, help us. Lord, help us to be sober, to be of sound mind, uh, to know a self-control. Now, let me say this, please. A man who is sober, a man uh, sober in the sense of having a uh, a God-yielded, God-controlled, uh, well-ordered mind, he will have a well-ordered life. It, it, there's just there's there's not going to be a disconnect there. Uh, a man who is yielded to the Spirit of God, and truly, genuinely yielded to the Spirit of God. Uh, is a man who is going to find grace from the Lord to exercise discernment and, and to make good, godly, biblical choices. He's going to have a life that reflects this yieldedness. Uh, don't forget, to yield is to yield control. You say, I'm yielding to the Spirit of God. You're saying that you are agreeing uh, to no longer hold the reins of your life, to no longer sit on the throne as the sovereign of your life, but to yield control of the Spirit of God, to give him control. Now listen, he's not ever going to take you uh, to a place that will be bad for you or unbiblical, uh, a place that's going to offend him. He's not going to do that. He's a loving, righteous, holy God. He's going to take you exactly where he wants you. And it's going to be a good and righteous place. And he's going to allow you to 
uh, begin developing a life that reflects the next thing that we see here. A God-controlled, well-ordered mind is going to produce a God-controlled, well-ordered life. And the phrase that we see here is of good behavior. That's the seventh thing. That's the seventh thing. You see how they're connected. Uh, if, I, if my mind and my heart are right with God, I'm yielded to him, my life is gonna, it's gonna, it's going to be visible in my life. There's going to be this good behavior, this uh, discernment that is seen outwardly in the choices that I am making. Uh, a pastor must be of good behavior. Now, you will remember that uh, we've noted that this is the same word, the underlying, the Greek underlying of good behavior is the same that is translated modest back in chapter 2. And we, we made the point that um, modest dress uh, would be an example of good godly behavior. So we have translations of the same word that might, you know, in a sense they're different. Yes, they're different words, but boy, they're both wonderful translations. Uh, a lady who yields to God and chooses to dress modestly, uh, appropriate for her gender, distinct to her gender, uh, not tight, uh, loose-fitting, uh, covering the knees, very specific to her gender, uh, she is evidencing outwardly good behavior that reflects an inward yieldedness to the Spirit of God. Uh, so the same, uh, that's good behavior, <laughs> according to God. God is the one who, de who defines the difference between good and bad. Uh, so here we have the, the same idea. It's just translated differently. Now, of course, the translators, um, they have every right to choose the words that they use uh, to express the same underlying meaning. Both are wonderful translations and appreciate the artfulness of not choosing the same English word every time to translate uh, the same Greek word. There's a... Uh, there's an artistry here, and it's not a bad thing at all. A pastor must be of good behavior. There should be a modesty in his life, just like there should be a modesty in the life of a Christian woman. Again, a yielding, a choice to yield to the Lord, to give him the reins of my life. <laughs> By the way, don't tell me that you can't uh, give the reins of your life to the Lord because you can't trust him, you've already trusted him with your eternity. Uh, if, if you've placed your faith in the Lord for salvation, uh, you're trusting him with your very eternity. Uh, what sense would it make to, in the next breath, say, well, I can't really trust the Lord with my life, this side of heaven? You've already trusted him with, for eternity. Uh, this life is the smallest sliver of eternity. Surely, if you can trust him with your eternity, you can trust him uh, if you will give him the reins of control this side of heaven to do good things in and through and with your life. Well, if you'll do that, he will give you a good, sound, orderly mind and a life that reflects that modest or good behavior. 
uh, several men have commented on uh, what this might look like practically in a pastor's life. Zachary, uh, one man says, uh, the pastor should be a gentleman. Uh, he should have manners. Uh, he should be a gentleman. Another man says, uh, this has the idea uh, of being well-ordered and by extension having a well-ordered life. I guess I've borrowed that language already. Uh, he says, uh, it also has the sense of being modest and humble in temperament. Uh, and certainly many of these qualifications do uh, kind of go to the temperament of the pastor. Uh, listen, if, if we're yielded to God, there will be a growing patience in our life and there will be uh, a grace in our life and there will be uh, a love in our life. Uh, the Lord changes our temperament as we, uh, well, when you were saved, uh, the potential of a completely new temperament was there. Uh, but to really realize that practically, uh, we have to be in the word of God and be yielded to the Lord and, and really allowing him uh, to accomplish that in our lives. Uh, a pastor will have a well-ordered mind that yields a well-ordered life. There will be a gentle, a gentlemanlessness. I can't say the word. He'll be a gentleman. Uh, he'll be a man of manners. Uh, he'll be a man of good behavior. Uh, and of course, of course. Number eight, number eight, and, you know, this doesn't necessarily require much explanation, and that, that's a good thing. Uh, number eight, we see here that a pastor must be given to hospitality. Uh, he must be given to hospitality. Uh, we see that here um, in the end of verse 2. We're, again, we're in 1 Timothy 3, uh, verse 2, toward the end of the verse. Uh, he, he's of good behavior, and he's required to be given to uh, hospitality. Now, we understand the basic idea of hospitality. It's a willingness to kind of take folks in and, uh, and, 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 and entertain them, uh, to, to provide for them. Uh, very often, this would be a meal. Uh, the underlying language here has the idea of a fondness for guests, or, or literally a fondness for strangers or foreigners, but they're, they're strange or foreign in the sense that you don't necessarily know them well. Uh, the, the, the language here, the underlying language, it does refer very specifically and quite literally to folks that you don't necessarily know well. Uh, the pastor will be one who is willing to reach out to and welcome into his life, uh, perhaps into his home, uh, folks who he doesn't yet know well. Now listen, if you're not willing to do that ever, uh, how do you ever get to know folks? If, if all you ever do is exchange you know, some pleasantries before and after the church service, uh, on a Sunday morning, boy, it's going to be hard to get to know someone. It's, it's going to be near impossible to be able to lead them to Christ. Uh, you may be able to influence them after they get saved. Um, 
a question here or there. Of course, your example influences people, but uh, the idea of any kind of discipling relationship will, won't be there unless you're really willing to welcome people into your life. And, and practically speaking, you know, very often that's going to mean welcoming them into our home. Now, I understand, and, and certainly a, a number of folks are probably thinking, yeah, but coronavirus. I understand that. Uh, today, uh, August of 2020, uh, we may have to uh, think about how we exercise uh, this hospitality. I understand that, and the Lord most certainly understands that as well. Uh, there needs to be a safety, and you know, not, not, <laughs> the Lord loves us. He has our best interests in mind. Uh, he's not asking us to take risks by inviting people into our home who, who may uh, have COVID any more than he's you know, asking you to invite someone in who uh, you know, is an ax murderer and may be dangerous to your family. You understand the example. Uh, we have to exercise discernment and wisdom in how we exercise our hospitality, whether it's coronavirus or something else. And, you know, this is where a godly discernment and, and a godly wisdom uh, comes into the equation. Uh, we can still be hospitable. We can take time with people after the church service to talk with them uh, and get to know them. You know, in a socially distanced way, uh, you can still have conversations with people. Uh, you can still spend time with someone uh, on the porch at church, in the parking lot. You can talk on the phone. Uh, you can have a conversation at church and say, listen, I'd love to be able to call you uh, and talk more with you throughout the week. And of course, Pastor, I, I will do that when visitors come. Uh, if, I, if I don't feel that I should go to their house for whatever reason, uh, I will call. I'll, I'll send notes. If I have an email address, uh, I'll, I'll send an email. Uh, you try to offer yourself as an investment into that person's life with the goal of uh, inviting them into your life. This is really the idea so that we can build relationships uh, so that we can influence them for the Lord. It's going to be very hard to do that in a meaningful way over time unless we're willing to invite people into our lives. Uh, in Hebrews 13 and verse 2, you, you know this verse, I suspect, uh, the Lord commands us to be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Uh, the underlying words are, are very similar. Strangers and uh, given to hospitality, there, there's, a, there's a, a literal connectedness there in, in root words. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Uh, yeah, be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Uh, the Bible says, therefore, thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Boy, <laughs> that's in your Bible. Don't, don't forget that. Uh, it's not going to be the norm, of course, that if you're uh, welcoming a, a, a stranger into your life or into your home for a meal or something like that, that it'll be an angel. But according to the Bible, it quite literally could be. What a privilege that would be. Uh, what a privilege that would be. Now, this is a, this is a criteria for pastors especially. And I've already, I've already made it clear, I believe, that uh, while that's true, this is a, something that God calls all church members to. In Romans 12, in verse 13, for example, 
uh, Paul encouraged all of the church members to be given to hospitality. He was not speaking there only to pastors. He was writing to all of the individual members of the church and encouraging all of them to be given to hospitality. Now again, with wisdom and discernment uh, and, and all of that, but nonetheless, be given to hospitality. Don't close yourself off from uh, visitors or each other between the church services. That is not God's desire. That is, you know, you, in, in a very real sense, you could view the church service as a launching pad uh, for relationships. It's a place where you can meet people for the first time uh, and with, with uh, being very intentional about looking for opportunities to invest in their life and to invite them into your life. Uh, I want to be clear, and I should have said this before, you know, obviously a man has to be careful about uh, how he approaches a woman, but certainly um, men, men can invest and, and invite other men into their lives, and ladies can do the same with, with other ladies, and couples can, uh, couples can do either, and you, you understand, we ha again, we have to be wise and godly and, and, and biblical and take care not to uh, create opportunities for something that should not happen in the context of our hospitality. You understand that. Now listen, I want you to also quickly get uh, this idea. The Bible tightly connects the idea of being loving and being hospitable. Uh, you understand the Lord calls us to demonstrate love uh, to each other, but also to lost people. And the Lord wants us to understand that it is a loving thing to be hospitable. I'm going to say this, the opposite would also be true. Conversely, it's not very loving to be not very hospitable. Um, in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, Above all things, God says to believers, above all things, have fervent charity, have a great burning love among yourselves, uh, and then in the next verse, it says, use hospitality one to another without grudging. One to another without grudging. Now, I would agree. Someone's saying, yep, that's people in the church. And I would agree that it would literally, that, that those two verses would literally be focused primarily at least on fellow church members. I will say this, though. Isn't it the case that it's easy to not really have much of a relationship with many church members. It's quite easy for weeks and months and years to go by without really getting to know each other better. It's, it's an easy thing to do, especially if, if you've been made to be a little bit more introverted, if that's kind of the way the Lord uh, has wired you. That, that danger is, is a very real danger. Uh, the Lord has therefore warned us and called us and instructed us to not let that happen. He says, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Love one another. Do for one another. Use, hosp and, and use hospitality one to another without grudging. Don't begrudge that. Don't, don't say, oh, you know, I guess I better invite so-and-so over because that's... No. Uh, if you need to, pray and ask God to give you a heart for that. Lord, give me a heart for my fellow church members. I, 
God, I recognize you, you've convicted me today that there's, there's a lot of folks. I just really, if I'm being honest, I don't even know them that well. I don't have that much of a relationship uh, with certain folks in my church family. Well, pray that God will give you heart for each other and a desire to be hospitable one to another without grudging. This is required of the pastor, but all of us, all of us are called to exercise a loving hospitality, particularly within the church, but I certainly think it would be uh, not improper to say, you know what, when that stranger comes through the door, we need to be willing to invest in them uh, and invite them into our lives. That's part of the process of hospitality. Let's move on here. We'll look at one more area and, and we'll be done. Uh, the ninth thing that we see on the list here, the ninth biblical qualification for a pastor is that he must be, quote, apt to teach. Uh, he must be able and willing to teach, and of course, not just anything, but uh, to teach the Word of God, uh, to take the Word of God and, and to teach it formally, and also be willing uh, to teach it informally. And, you know, I've, I've talked a lot uh, over the years about the difference between formal and informal teaching, and uh, I think we've mentioned that recently. You can, you can accomplish an awful lot of great teaching uh, in those very casual, very informal settings. When someone is going through some difficulty and you can guide them to a verse just very casually in a conversation uh, that will be applicable to their situation and help them. You're teaching them. You're, you are teaching them. You don't have to stand in front of a room uh, you know, with students at desks or tables to be teaching. You can accomplish an awful lot of very powerful teaching in a very informal way. I encourage you, please, to keep that in mind. You may have the gift of teaching. It's one of the spiritual gifts, uh, and yet lack a formal place in which to exercise that. Don't worry about whether it's formal or not. If you have that gift, please exercise it in your church uh, uh, whenever you can, however you can, however God would have you to do that. Now you keep in mind that God does not desire for, for women to be in the business of teaching men, that's true, but God does specifically desire the older women to teach the younger women and to teach the young people. Uh, so you, you look for opportunity, if this is your gift, uh, you look for opportunities uh, to do this. The pastor, very often, teaching will be his spiritual gift. It doesn't have to be. Uh, it does not have to be his spiritual gift in order for him to be the pastor, but he should be reasonably confident to communicate the word of God. He should be a reasonably competent uh, teacher. Uh, Titus 1 and verse 9, so Titus is another passage that deals with, Titus 1 deals with the biblical qualifications for pastors, uh, says this, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he, or so that he may uh, be able by sound doctrine both to exhort, to encourage, uh, and to convince the gainsayers, those who speak against the truth. Uh, the pastor needs to be able to teach the truth of God's word for the purpose of winning the lost, teaching them the gospel, uh, but then teaching them all of God's words so that we can live according to all of God's words as, as Christ has called us to do in Matthew 4.4. 4. 
this is a, a basic requirement for pastors. They don't have to be the best teachers in the world. They just have to be decently competent to uh, share an understanding of the Word of God. Now, again, I'm going to say it again, just so we hear it uh, again. All believers are called to be in the business of teaching and encouraging each other, uh, what? The Word of God. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, the Bible says, Servant the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. We are all called to be in the business of teaching whomever God will give us to teach the gospel to and to be willing and able to disciple, to teach all of God's words uh, to those who get saved. Boy, this is, this is just basic stuff, but it's, it's so important and it, it's so, so easy to overlook these things. Let me say one more thing about teaching, and, and we'll wrap it up here. Um, being able to teach, I think this is obvious, but hear it please, it necessarily requires a willingness and an ability to study the Word of God. You cannot teach the Bible unless you are willing to learn the Bible. I remember years ago when I first became a Sunday school teacher uh, for a youth class, I, I told the pastor at that time, I am, I am willing to teach the kids, but honestly, I don't know very much. And he said, you know what, I understand that, that's a concern, but are you willing to study and to learn the Bible? I said, yes, I am. I am willing to study uh, to learn the Bible. Are you, he said, I, th I think you're, you're able to do that. You just need to be willing to do that. I said, yes, sir, that, that is the case. And so week by week, I would spend time studying and learning, and then I would teach that lesson on Sunday. You know what? If, if, if you will spend time studying and then sharing what you've learned consistently over a period of time, pretty much you gain a, a good storehouse of knowledge, a wealth of biblical knowledge that you can then employ uh, in your own life, in your own family, but also begin to share with others and to be a help and encouragement to others as well. In order to do that, you will have to be willing to invest in learning the Word of God. Now, you can do that here at church, and of course, everybody ought to be uh, Everybody ought to be at every service. May I say that again? Um, everybody ought to be uh, at every service that the doors are open for. Uh, right now, we have two services where we, we're open for live in-person services, Sunday uh, morning and Wednesday night. May I just say again that everybody should be here for both of those services. Uh, we're just open for two services a week, and boy, I just want to encourage you to be here. Uh, be here learning and being reminded of the words of God and, and learning. Boy, you know, I learned some things this morning from, from Brother Sandy's message, and, and that's wonderful. Somebody's going to say, you're the pastor. Aren't you supposed to know it all? Well, you try to know as much as you can, but you want to remain teachable and to continue learning so that you can be an ever more profitable teacher. 
You've got to be willing to learn in order to realize that goal. So I, I encourage you, boy, be here Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Some of you are not in the habit of being here Wednesday. I want to encourage you. Please prayerfully consider that encouragement from your pastor. It's, it's important. It's important that we be together as much as we can uh, to learn together and to encourage one another uh, and so that we can benefit from those casual opportunities to demonstrate hospitality to one another, to teach and counsel and encourage each other uh, casually. It can be very powerful, but we've got to be willing to come together in order to do that in the best possible way. Again, there's, there's technology and, and, and that's an option. It's just not the best option. Uh, tonight we have our technology and, and we're online and, and you're listening online tonight. Thank you. Uh, this is the next best option, but it's not the best option. Lord willing, we'll be able to get back to a place where all four of our messages are you know, live in-person services. And would, would you pray to that end? Would you, would you pray to that end? I don't, um, I don't know when that will be the case, but certainly it's my vision that we would get back to uh, four in-person services and that every member of our church would have a heart to physically be here. I understand if you're able to. There's sometimes there's, there's physical challenges that prevent that. I understand that. Believe me, I do. Uh, but, but if you're physically able to be present uh, for, for four services a week, boy, you want to be here. Uh, you want to be here. You want to be learning so that you can share these things and you want to be uh, available to each other um, so that we can, again, be a helpful encouragement, and be hospitable uh, toward each other. So these are qualifications of a pastor, but again, how valuable how valuable to bring these things into your life, whether you're ever going to be a pastor or not, and to exercise these things within your own life, in your own church. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I thank you tonight uh, for your words. Thank you again that you've uh, not left us guessing what would qualify a man to serve as a pastor. Lord, I pray tonight that we not soon forget these things, that we would... Um, learn them and, and be prepared to uh, apply them uh, as you desire. Lord, I pray tonight that uh, we would uh, ask you to search our hearts. Lord, if we've not been hospitable toward visitors, if we've not been hospitable toward fellow church members, uh, Lord, poke us and prod us in the heart and uh, convict us about that. Give us grace to confess that. And Lord, give us a heart to ask you for uh, whatever is needed, whatever is needed to be more uh, hospitable. Uh, Lord, if we've been convicted tonight that um, maybe we don't know as much as we should know in order to be an effective teacher, uh, even a casual teacher, uh, I pray tonight also that, that you convict us about that. Uh, Lord, maybe there's some who just need to be present more. Uh, maybe there's some who need to, uh, at least for now, uh, recommit themselves to listening to the live services uh, at church, uh, but also uh, be, being present when we're online on Sunday night and Sunday school. Uh, 
Lord, give us a heart to be in the Bible at home each day, reading and learning and studying and growing, understanding that we'll benefit from that, but also we'll be better and better equipped to be able to help and encourage others simply by teaching your words. Lord, I understand not everyone has that spiritual gift, but I believe you've called us all to know your word and to be able and willing to share it with each other. Father, help us to have a heart to do just that. Lord, I love you. I thank you tonight for all of these things. I ask that you would uh, give us your grace to exercise these things. Father, we love you. We thank you. Uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.